Today is Friday, and on Friday we focus on a time of prayer. And for our time of prayer, I want it to be organized today around three passages that come from the prophet Zechariah. Now, why would we be looking at Zechariah? little background, the books Ezra and Nehemiah are all about the restoration of Jerusalem, the rebuilding of the temple. And that restoration after the exile, after the 70 years exile, And the rebuilding of the temple happens in three distinct phases. And those three distinct phases span over a hundred years. And the first phase is the rebuilding of the temple phase. And that's given to us in Ezra 1 through 6. And then the second phase is when Ezra comes, and that's Ezra 7 through the end of Ezra. And he re and there's a recommitment to loving the law and loving the word. And then the third phase is when Nehemiah comes and completes the wall and provides the social structures for Jerusalem. So three distinct phases. But the first phase is about rebuilding the temple. And, and again, that's given to us in Ezra 1-6. through And so a remnant has returned to Jerusalem to undertake the temple building project. And they got off to a good start. But then they have flagged. Their energy has failed, and they need to be rejuvenated. They've become, some have become distracted. Some have become discouraged. There's political and social pressure put on them to stop the work, to give up. And this takes 20 years total, 20-year total project. But at some point in the middle of the building project, they give up. And then God sends the prophet Haggai and Zechariah to encourage them to motivate them, and it was their preaching that motivated the people to keep going. And so what I want to do today is just dip our toe into three sections from Zechariah that God sent to his people in a time where they were discouraged, a time where they felt defeated, at a time where they had a great work to do but were struggling just to keep going, and look at some of the visions that he sent to motivate them to keep going and to rebuild the temple. And so the book of Zechariah is a series of different visions. And I want us to look at the vision that comes to Zechariah in chapter 2, 3, and 4. So let's look at Zechariah 2. Zechariah 1, the prophet comes and he gives the rousing call to rebuild the temple, to rise up, to keep going, that the Lord is near, the Lord will be with them. And then the people respond. Zechariah chapter 2, then I looked up and there before me was a man with a measuring line in his hand. And I asked, where are you going? And he answered me to measure Jerusalem, to find out how wide and how long it is. And while the angel who was speaking to me was leaving, another angel came to meet him and said to him, run, tell that young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. And then there's a series of calls to come, come and flee, come and escape, enter in. And then in verse 10, shout and be glad, daughter of Zion, for I am coming and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people and I will live among you, and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. The Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and will choose again Jerusalem. Be still before the Lord, all mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. So this vision, which is one of the first visions, 
is given to the people. And what you see is there's a young man who, in his enthusiasm to revive and begin again the building project, he jumps up and he starts running and he's brought his measuring line. He's a surveyor who's measuring the city for the work that must begin. This is the first step of preparation to rebuilding the wall. And of course, rebuilding the wall would be the prudent first step. It's the first thing naturally that has to happen. And I love it because he's young and he jumps up with all this energy to get going. And then the angel of the Lord comes to him and stops him. And he says, you don't start with the wall. I, the Lord, will be the wall. The priority is not the wall. The priority is the temple. Notice what he says. I myself will be the wall around it. I will be its glory within. And then shout and be glad, for I will live among you, declares the Lord. And this first great lesson that they had to learn, and we have to learn at every stage, is that the key, the most important reality for Israelites in Jerusalem is the presence. His presence is the point. And that's the most important thing. I love how verse 13 contrasts with verse 1. Verse 1 is very well-intentioned activity. And then verse 13 is a call to be still before the Lord. And the key lesson here is that the presence is the point. God's promise is that he ultimately, not the wall, will be their protection. And those are two lessons that I think we desperately need to pray into our life right now. So take a moment and pause. Who do you know? What situation are you in where the most important thing is not a resolution or a something being fixed, but it's God's presence? His presence is the point. If you have his presence, nothing else matters. And if you don't have his presence, nothing else matters. So take a moment and pray. You know, there are people you know who are sick. Pray that they'll feel his presence. There are people you know who are afraid. Pray that they'll feel his presence. You people, people you know who are anxious, pray that they'll feel his presence. Then ask the Lord to help you remember that ultimately his presence is our protection. Our final protection doesn't come from the CDC. It doesn't come from politicians. It doesn't come from fabric mask or any other provisions we might make as well and good and as important as all of those things are. They're not unimportant. They're just not ultimate. So ask the Lord to help us to remember that his presence is the ultimate point. Now we think about the next vision in Zechariah chapter 3. And here, this vision is given of the high priest Joshua. And so the high priest Joshua is on trial. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. So here's the image. Joshua's on trial, and on his left is an angel who will advocate for him. On his right is Satan who is accusing him. And what situation is he in? See in verse 3, now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. So the high priest is supposed to be um, decked out in his priestly splendor, and all of the priestly garments are symbolic of his role and function. But this is representative of the fact that the people have been compromised. His clothes are filthy because they've been compromised. They've intermarried. They've sullied themselves, their garments. 
are sullied with sin, sin-stained. And so there's no way that God can restore and redeem his people. He has to begin with the priesthood. He has to begin there. What's fascinating is Satan's right there ready to accuse. But his clothes are so dirty, you get the picture that Satan doesn't even have to say anything. Just tells everybody, look, no words are needed. It's obvious to all. But then in verse 2, the Lord says to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? So the Lord silences Satan, silences him in his accusations. He says, no matter what else you say about him, this man is a burning stick that's been saved from the fire, a brand plucked out. He's been saved. And what the Lord does is remind Joshua, remind Satan, remind him that first he's been saved by grace. And then the Lord clothes him in verse 4. See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. Verse 5, put a clean turban on his head. So he gets dressed and clean and then is commissioned. He says, if you walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, you will govern my house. So he's recommissioned. And then he tells him in verse 8 that what Joshua actually represents the whole community. What the Lord has done for Joshua, he's going to do for the whole people in a day. And what we see here, there's so many beautiful preludes to the gospel. Our Yeshua who comes purify our advocate who can silence the devil and the accusers. But here what we see is the great need in times of restoration. There are two things that the church needs. First, we need to be purified and cleansed. And second, we need to have Satan's accusing voice silenced. So let's take a moment now and pray. Do you know anyone who in this time is being beat down and battered by the accusing voice of Satan? Pray against that. Ask the Lord to silence that voice. Are you being beat down and battered by that voice? Don't listen. It's not true. And then pray that God's people, the great royal priesthood of the church, would be cleansed and purified. Praise him that we have a high priest who's gone before us into the heavens, our greater Joshua, who stands complete and cleaned, and he saves and he clothes and he commissions. And finally, for the last image, the last prayer point comes from Zechariah 4. And this vision is a vision that focuses on Zerubbabel, the governor, the civic leader. And it's so interesting to me that the first vision has to motivate the people to focus on the presence. Second vision has to focus on cleansing the priesthood, cleanse the church. And then the third vision focuses on Zerubbabel and the civic leaders, the governor. And he gets encouraged because the Lord tells him that that he began the work and he will complete it. He will bring it to completion. He who has begun a good work with you will bring it to completion. But there's two things that he focuses Zerubbabel's attention on. The first is in verse 6. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. This is going to come about not by might, not by power. Don't think that it's power or might or your political savvy that's going to bring about the restoration of the people and the rebuilding of the temple. It's by my spirit. And we have to be utterly convinced of that conviction. It is by the spirit that the Lord does his work. He says, you have all the resources you need. You have the spirit of God. And then it's fascinating. He encourages them in verse 10, who dares despise 
the day of the small things. He says, don't despise the day of the small things. When you look out at the rubble of Jerusalem and it looks, the, the problem looks so vast and so difficult, where do you begin? He says, begin with the small things. Do not despise the small things for God. This great victory will come about through the apparently insignificant task of building the kingdom. Don't rely too much on your own strength and abilities. Rely on the Spirit and focus on the small things. And that's a beautiful word for us now in this season. So take a moment and ask the Lord to help you. Pray for our country. Pray for our leaders. Pray that we'll experience and know the Spirit of God and that the restoration and reconciliation that's needed will come, not by might or by power, but it comes through the Spirit. And then pray that the Lord will help us. Help us not to despise the day of the small things the small things of being courteous to our neighbor, of taking care of our own home, of taking care of those around us that we have access to, of doing our small part to raise the level of civility, to raise the level of joy, to raise the level of neighborliness and kindness. Today, if you feel like all your activities are just small and insignificant, don't despise them because it's through them that the Lord will build his kingdom.